Hello everyone and welcome. My name is Mary Plastic. I am a founder of Upgrade Disability and your host. I would like to thank you for joining me today at the intersection of disability and politics. The road ahead can be a bumpy one, so buckle up and let's navigate this journey together. Welcome back. You're going to need to buckle up super tight again as Kim and I get deep into religion, disability, sexuality, COVID, and much more. So let's circle back around and talk about sexuality and gender identity. I'm going to give you the mic and I'm going to just let you go and Maybe I'll tell you that story I started to tell you before. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, so it's really, I was telling Mary before we got on, uh, like, I'm not fully out yet, and I will be now. <laughs> I, I'll be out, out as heck. Um, and I'm going to talk to my family about it later when I work up the courage. But, and my, my mom knows, and she's super supportive. I love her. But, yeah, I finally accepted that I was bisexual um, in 2020. And it was that year when we're all like the beginning of being quarantined and stuff like that. And I had a lot of time to myself, a lot of time to journal. And before that, I would say that I struggled with homosexuality. Um, and I, I grew up in the church. I grew up going to church. My, you know, my dad was a minister. My grandfather's a pastor. Um, my mom like led worship and stuff like that. Um, and then I went to Bible school myself and I like was on staff at a church for a little while. And I, it was not okay to be gay in that environment. It was a sin and like you, you weren't supposed to be gay. <laughs> and I always liked, I always liked girls. Like I liked, I liked girls and guys. And, you know, I, I had a crush on Hercules and Meg. I had a crush on Aurora and Philip. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, I always knew that. And like, I, um, I was just like, I would always try to pray it away. I would always try to like, like pray over myself and be like, Lord, like, can you take this away from me? Cause like, I don't know what's wrong with, like, I just felt like something was wrong with me. And I was so like, I was so ashamed. I was so ashamed all the time. And like in Bible school, I did conversion therapy. And uh, like I would get anointed all the time with oil, like they put oil on you and they pray and stuff like that. And I, people praying for it to be like cast out of me as though it was like demonic and stuff like that. And I'm like, this is a beautiful, now I know I'm like, this is a beautiful part of me that's to be cherished and to be treasured and stuff like that. I was like, this is a, a part of me that makes me whole. And even like um, in the Bible, like God is described as like being genderless and like God is just like there's a, a scripture that says there is slave neither slave nor free there is neither male nor female in Christ Jesus and then I'm like but so I'm like if if God is like that like if God is described like that and I'm like and we're supposed to be made in God's image and I'm like I'm right on track <laughs> so and I, I started doing more research about that and then I come to find out that homosexuality wasn't a sin in the original text of the Bible and that was put in like in the um, 20th century. So, and then that, that kind of like spurred my like, like my walk of like 
it was called deconstructing. So I was like, started doing a lot more theological study and like finding things. And there was always been things in the Bible that I like, that didn't resonate with like my like spirit and like my like inner being and not like not showing the love that we need to, to like gay people was like one of the first things that like never like sat right with me and like, just like the fear and the shame. And so like, I just started like accepting that more in 2020 of like, I'm gay and I'm like a, I don't know if you've ever seen The Good Place, but there's a character named Janet and she always says, I'm not a girl. I'm like that, that helped, that show actually helped me accept it too. Anyway, but yeah, so with, with that tying into like my disability, so with my um, endometriosis, uh, that's been like, that's been kind of hard um, with, uh, especially like finding resources that are inclusive of like all genders, because it's not just women that have, you know, a uterus, it's not just women that have ovaries um, and stuff like that. And so a lot of people are like, oh, this is for like, this, this site is geared toward women, this site. And I'm like, because oh, then all, and then all the language is like gendered language and stuff like that. Um, and a lot of doctor's offices it's like that but my my new doctor was the first one that was like accepting and like willing to use my pronouns and like so that's been a lot better but like yeah like having a period stuff like that has always taught me gender dysphoria and makes me feel like horribly icky like I don't that's how like dysphoria feels to me just like my whole body just feels like ick (laughs) but yeah I've just been uh working on accepting it more and like I'm like I'm nervous talking about it because when I talk about it I get rejected usually when I I feel like the more I become my true self the more I get rejected I'm like this hurts but it's okay because like if you don't want me for my true self then that it'll be better for both of us if you're not here you know what I mean it'll be healthier for my heart and it'll be healthier for yours because you're not pretending to be something you're not you're not pretending to be affirming when you're not and so it's like I can't live a life that's molded around other people accepting me anymore it's exhausting it's too much to live a life that's like for other people and like I want to give of myself fully and I can't do that well until I'm being myself fully does that make sense yeah and I want to thank you for being so vulnerable in this space. Um, I know how difficult it is to be honest and open about something that you've been holding in for so long. I did not publicly come out until summer of last year, 2021. I'm 44 years old and I didn't come out until I was 44 years old. Actually, it was before my birthday, so I was 43 when I came out. And I grew up in a culture where being gay is a sin. I grew up in a church with you. I, my grandmother was the choir director. We went to mass all the time. I was in choir. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was in choir and I taught Sunday school since I was 18. I mean, you know, I taught for 15 years off and on. And 
I remember when I was a little girl, I had a cousin, and I've been talking about him a lot lately because he's been on my mind. And I remember being like five, six years old, and I remember hearing the um, adults murmuring, gossiping about how someone took advantage of him, and that's why he thought he was he thought he was gay, and how bad that was. And I realized now as an adult, my cousin was autistic. I think my cousin had the autonomy to know who he was and what he wanted. It was the early 80s. My cousin contracted AIDS and died of AIDS. And I think about him every single day. And I realize now as an adult, there was nothing wrong with him. He knew what he wanted. My cousin was disabled. And that really, I think, you know, subconsciously, that's why I knew I could never come out to the woman who raised me. And prior to recording, Camry asked me, how did I know or when did I know? you know, about my sexuality. And I was telling her about how I had a male friend that I had known since I was a kid. And it was me and him and another friend of ours, female friend, that I've also known since we were kids. And I was 17. And he kissed me and he dared me to kiss her. And I was like, oh, oh. Okay, this this is different. This feels it was an actual moment of like sexual awakening. Like, oh my god! And and when I thought about it, I realized why I always thought these women growing up. I always said, "Oh, she's so pretty. She's so pretty." And I'm like, "Well, that makes total sense." why I thought that growing up. But I had, so I've, I've, I've never told this story, but to a few people. Um, I had a girlfriend in my 20s, and the woman who raised me didn't know, or I think she ignored that. I think she knew, because in my culture, if she immediately knew that I was gay, bisexual, queer, whatever, but you know, let's say gay. If he knew I was gay, he would have to like disown me. And oh, wow. He, and he had too much control over me to want to do that. So he ignored that. But I know for a fact that she knew that I had a girlfriend. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was with her for nine months. And I, I couldn't be open because, again, I was teaching Sunday school. And I grew up Catholic. And, you know, the Catholic Church always says, being gay is a sin, it's a sin. And I remember going to church and being so angry about them saying that what I was doing was a sin. So I understand what you're saying about 
figuring out who you are and, and like being told by everyone else that it's a bad thing and that you're a bad person for feeling something. And I'm still trying to own that part of my identity, but very, very difficult. Even though I'm very, very public about it now, it's still very, very difficult for me. Oh yeah, I bet, I bet. Like to be indoctrinated the way we were and just to be told all like over and over and hear in sermons and to hear people talking about gay people like in hushed tones and like, oh, like, I think that person's gay or like, well, we need to pray for her because, you know what I mean? Or like, ah, oh, like that's so, like, of course, we are not coming out until now. You know what I mean? Like, of course. At some point, I'd love, like, I'd love us to talk about, like, the cross-section of being disabled in the church. Because that's a whole other thing, like, the ableism that's prevalent there. When I have you back, we'll talk about that. I'd love it. Okay. Because that's a whole episode by itself. Just in itself, yeah. Like, being a people's project, basically. Oh, absolutely, all the time. But yes, that's definitely something I would love to have you back and just talk about that topic. Oh, we yes, can talk about that for a long time. Maybe we'll make that a series of, of conversations. Oh my God, hell yes. Yes, yes, please. <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, tell me how society's attitude around COVID has affected your mental health over the past two years? Oh my God, Mary. Mary, it's so bad. <laughs> it's so bad. My mental health has gone down the fucking tubes. Like it's been down the tubes before, but Mary. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I cry about it. I cry about it all the time. And I cry a lot in general. Like, I'm a crier, but goddamn, you know, um, what they say on TV and like what the CDC says, like them saying, like, do you know the quote, what they said about like living with comorbidities? I, I'm going to butcher it. Yes. So, originally, what was the quote that made all of us so mad was the director saying, that only those that have four or more comorbidities were the ones dying from this variant, the yes. Omicron. But they went back later and said what they were saying originally, not the edited part, was that vaccinated people overall are not dying from Omicron, those that are vaccinated and dying are those that have four or more comorbidities. So it really didn't make it any better. Um, you know, we're getting this messaging of, well, you're going to die anyway. Right. And then her saying, like, it's encouraging news that these are the majority of the deaths. I'm like, my death would be encouraging to y'all. Love that. I love it here. We live in hell. <laughs> I just feel like, like society's opinion of disabled people of like our lives being like, basically like we're expendable. And it's like, 
how am I supposed to, how, how are we supposed to preserve our mental health? Like being, having that messaging like from the government, from people around us. So like I'm on Instagram and like I'm seeing my friends stories and I'm like, they're at parties or like they're at raves and stuff and nobody has a mask on and stuff like that. And like seeing my friends hang out in groups of people. Like the virus doesn't care that you're just hanging out with your homies. The virus doesn't care that that's your best friend that you're hanging out with. Like the virus will go up in your nose anyway. And it's like, you don't care that you're, you're, you can have the potential to spread it to other people. And that like, like what if the person you're hanging out with, like they live with their grandmother or they live with someone who's immune compromised. They live with a child. And it's like, you're putting that person at risk. And it's like, people don't care. And I don't understand why they don't care. And like, I got COVID because the people around me didn't care. I got, and now I have long COVID and I have chest pain every day because people didn't care. And it's just like, it doesn't affect just you. And why would you want it to affect you? Like, why would they even risk that? Because it's like, if you get COVID, you could become disabled because you had, you have post-viral illness. And it's like, why would you even put yourself at risk for that? So it's like the fact that they wouldn't even like protect that non-disabled people wouldn't even like protect themselves is wild to me it's like forget about it like affecting others and you you could spread it to people but it's like you could become disabled yourself and like even if covid doesn't disable you like why would you want that at all like it's life-threatening i just don't understand why people like think they're invincible and play russian roulette with themselves and others like that that terrifies me and they don't realize that living like that is a luxury but i think if we had a beginning of a pandemic the message that we got and everybody else was that we were the ones who were going to die. And if they got COVID, it was just going to be a cold and they were going to be okay. And that messaging has never gone away. It stuck with them. And that, in the same way, this variant, oh, it's not that bad. It's fine. It's mild. Well, for someone like myself who was immunocompromised, it won't be mild and it can be deadly to me. And I'm back yeah. here, I'm boosted, completely like, no, it's not mild for everyone. And they don't care because they think, oh, well, I'll just get cold and it'll be fine. I'll feel miserable for a few days and I'll be good to go. And it's like, I was. 40 years old before I was diagnosed with an underlying condition. So you don't know if you're walking around with an yes. underlying condition. You don't know that. So you're basically risking your life and you don't know what you're doing. And we talk about being like so angry. I have I don't know if I'm the one who coined the phrase or not, but I use the phrase pandemic rage a lot because that's why I have, I have pandemic rage. And you yeah. know, you know, I got asked, and I told you the other day, I got asked about why I'm so angry. I'm like, why am I so angry? I've been home for two years while everyone's out doing whatever the hell they want. Yes. And you're asking me why I react to something the way I did? Why the hell do you think I reacted the way I did? Because I've been ignored for two years. Because my community's being ignored. 
So please go sit there and be like, Mary, why did you react that way? Why the hell do you think I reacted that way? It's like, we have dreams too. We have lives too. I have friends that I would love to see. I have so many, there's, I miss my friends. <laughs> like, I want to hang out with people and not be scared that they're going to kill me because they have, they're asymptomatic with COVID. Like, you know what I'm saying? Or they had a, a, a rapid test, but that was a false, a false negative or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to live that, live and not be scared. I want to, I want to be able to go to the doctor and not be scared that I'm going to risk infection. I want to go to the hospital and not wait for seven, eight hours to be treated you know what I'm saying? It's like our dreams are like being taken away and stuff like that. It's like, and like I was telling my mom, like long COVID like has like kind of like fucked up like the things I want to do in my life. Like, and obviously like I'm sure I can get treatment for my lungs. I'm sure they can figure out some kind of way, but it's definitely like putting a pin in it. You know what I mean? Like when I, like I have dreams of doing music and shit and like when I sing, it hurts. Like I was singing, I was, I was playing Doja Cat when I was uh, getting ready to like hype myself up and I was like singing along and I was like getting so out of breath because I was like, just from singing along to the song, like I was like getting super out of breath. And like, if I get, if it gets too much, sometimes like singing will make my chest hurt. And so it's like, that never used to happen. Like I could sing for like, cause I would sing on stage and stuff. Like I could sing for hours and be fine. And like, now it's like, I can't do that anymore. And it's just like how I like that's how I want to like that that's like how I would love like be able to make money and stuff is just like releasing music and pre- helping produce music and whatever and I'm like I don't know if I can do that now like you know what I'm saying and like uh, it made me more physically disabled like having long COVID like when I walk around it makes me have chest pain like it make my heart rate goes up when I cause I think I might have POTS which is post viral so it's like when I stand up, my heart rate goes up very high and that makes my chest hurt. Every time I use my inhaler now and it'll, um, it'll make my chest hurt. That didn't used to happen. It's just like, it doesn't affect just you. You know what I mean? Like your actions have a ripple effect. And I just wish people knew that and cared and didn't like hear it and get offended instead. I'm like, you're offended because I want you to help save people's lives. Oh, okay. (laughs) Like what? But that's the thing, we are seen as being less than, and we've always been seen that way. So I'm not really sure why myself and so many of us were surprised by the way non-disabled people reacted to this, but I know I was. But there's a difference between knowing that society wants you dead and living with that and always knowing that, but then seeing it in your face is completely different. Right, either dead or like staying inside forever because we, you know, if we're so scared, if if we want to stay alive so bad, just stay in the house, you know. (laughs) I have to go to the doctor. I got to leave the house. I got to get groceries, damn. (laughs) I, I, like, Freedom for everyone but us, which is complete bull. Um, what's a message that you have for the non-disabled community? You know what? I don't. I don't even know. <laughs> I, uh, I just. 
I feel like I'm gonna sound like the ghost of disability future. <laughs> um, like you don't have to be polite. This can have to be a polite message. It can be whatever you're feeling. Go for it. There's a saying that's like you're way closer to being without a home than you are to being a billionaire. It's the same with disability. You're way closer to being disabled than you are to being invincible and living forever and being healthy forever, your idea of healthy or well. And I just want people to help build an accessible world to like to notice when things are inaccessible, to notice, to notice and be aware of it before they're obligated to be aware because they're disabled too. And it's like, if I'm like, don't you realize like if you help like the world become more equitable, like it'll be easier for you when you're older and when you need like when you need access to healthcare that's affordable, like when you need all these things that we can't have right now because no one's helping the disabled community. Like, I don't know. I just want people to like, get involved sooner rather than later. And it's like, I want you to care about us. I want you to see us. Like we're people's family. Like I'm someone's child. I'm someone's friend. Do you know what I mean? It's like our lives are not expendable. Like we're here too. And like, we want to be here and we want to thrive and we deserve to live in abundance. We don't deserve scarcity. Um, like you said, with adequate healthcare, how that's not enough. We deserve healthcare. That's over and above. You know what I'm saying? We deserve to live well. And I don't know. I just want people to see us. And I, I, that's what we want. We want people to understand that we have lives and we want to live our lives and our lives are disabled lives are worthy. And if we don't think they are, wait till you become disabled and then someone tells you that your life is not worthy of living. Can we? Where can people find you and how can they support you? Where can they find you on um, social media? Okay, it's Cami, C-A-M-I, two underscores, Elizabeth, two underscores. So Cami, underscore, underscore, Elizabeth, underscore, underscore on Instagram. And that's my personal page, but I use that same page books about disability and um, social justice. And so, yeah, you guys can definitely find me on there. And how can people support you with what that you're doing? Oh, that's a great question. You're, you, you're definitely welcome to share my writing um, and stuff like that. Yeah, so like I have some writing on, on my posts, but I post a lot to my stories and stuff like that. So resharing my writing is amazing. I post a lot about mutual aid. So sharing those things and helping other people in um, marginalized communities, helping them get what they need. Um, those are probably my biggest focuses right now. Yeah, you can always donate to my... My healthcare fund, that's awesome. I think I have that in my bio. Um, but yeah, resharing like the, the disability posts and stuff like that would probably be like the best thing. Thank you so much, Mary. Thank you so much for being here today. It was amazing. I'm so glad that we had this talk. You're and amazing. Thank you. And we're, we're gonna, I'm going to have you back and we're going to talk about what we mentioned earlier about being disabled and growing up in the church. Can we? Thank you again for joining me today. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Politics of Disability podcast. I can never get remember, disability is political, disability is messy, 
Despicable is not possible, nor can it have to be.